ladies and gentlemen, is on. Quick backstory. If you listen to episode one featuring Brooke, when we recorded that episode, there were two parts. Part one, I had the pleasure of interviewing her. Part two, she turned the tables on me and I had some questions for me. So, the interviewer became the interviewee. And let me tell you, I had a great time with it. Until she asked some deep and some introspective questions that allowed me to ponder what it is that I do and the why behind what I do. Not just the podcast, we're talking career, uh, the investment in students, and then why we keep doing what we do. So, let me reintroduce Brooke to you. Not even a former student of mine, just one that is one I had the pleasure of crossing paths with at different times of life. And lo and behold, here we go. Osceola's finest. She's in the house. Brooke, mother, great student, phenomenal human, caring, loving, kind, tatted mama. Uh, she's, she's one of my favorites of all time, no doubt about it. So this is going to be really good. We can call this talking back to the teacher, or we can call it the teacher's talking back. Either way, it's a great conversation, and I want y'all to check it out. Appreciate you. I guess this is where I tell myself it's time to talk back to the teacher. I am ready. Hey, here we go, Ham. What made you interested in staying in touch with your former students? Because although you didn't stay in touch with all of them, you stayed in touch with certain people. So how did those people stick out and why? That's a great question. I think for the most part, what I have found is that there are some students, not that you care more about, but I think sometimes you invest more in and you have a greater connection with for whatever reason. Sometimes it's it was kids that I coached who were my basketball players. Other times it were kids who came into my class thinking that they absolutely hated math. And mm-hmm. I was like, well, I got something for you. By the end of this year, you're going to, you maybe you won't love math, but you'll at least feel confident in it and do that. And then there's that part of me that you get to see a kid from age, what, 14 to 18 in these transformative, like teen years of their life. And so you want to be like, I want to know what comes next (laughs) for them. Um, You see them walk through this and they're ready to step out into like the workforce or community college or the army or like four year university. And I'm like, dude, I want to know what you do next. So, you know, lo and behold, there's social media, which is how most of them you can find or they get a hold of you and it's like one of the coolest feelings in the world to get a friend request from a kid like hey i don't know if you remember me i'm like of course i remember you you had an 87 average in my class and you missed 16 days like nah. <laughs> you just find kids that you get you get connected to and sometimes like i'll reach out to their parents like hey is it okay if i check in on how your kid's doing and you get to kind of mentor them so i think you build good relationships, healthy relationships with with good boundaries, and you're able to continue to play a role in your students' lives. What characteristic do you think drives you to want to know more about that person? Do you have a certain characteristic? Honestly, I think I'm just compassionate, and I want to see them succeed. You know, I think if, you know, when when I taught at your school, We had block classes for the longest. So if you spend 90 minutes a day with these kids for 185 to 100 and 
90 days a year, I'm like, yo, I, I'd be spending more time with y'all than I get to with like my partner or my kids because they're in school all day. And by the time I get them home and fed, bathed, or we do 10 minutes of homework, like we're kneeling, saying prayers and tucking kids in bed. Like, but kids at school, I see you like before school, kids be popping their head in in between classes. They come in and be disrupting my lunch. <laughs> and so you just have this time investment and you, you get a lot of really, really cool kids and you see their personality grow over the years. And so it's like I automatically know it's worthwhile to continue to be invested in them. So I think that's the cool part about it. What continues to drive you in this career path? You, you continue to see kids grow. You continue to see them thrive. You get to see them as they blossom. The number of weddings I've gotten to attend, you you get engagement invitations, and then they start having building families, and you get to meet their partners, you meet their spouses, you meet their kids. And the next thing you know, you're like sitting in an olive garden eating with two or three generations of a student you taught. Like their parents are there and their kids are there. And they're like, are you ham? And I'm like, you call me the same thing your dad called me. (laughs) So outside of math, what is your other favorite subject? Do you think math is a favorite subject of yours, to be honest? Although you... Like when you went to my school, right? You taught math. Is math even your favorite subject? If not, what is your favorite subject? Uh, that's a good question. One of my best subjects I ever had was history. No, I'm sorry, not history. I hate history. <laughs> history, history sucked. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Chemistry, I thought was really cool. Ooh, science with math. It's a science. And then there was a math aspect of it that, you know, I I felt like I clearly thrived in. Mm -hmm. Originally, when I was looking at colleges, I was considering being a chemical engineering major because of a really good relationship with my junior year chemistry teacher. His name is Mr. Cahill. Like he was he was cool. And there was a day I remember I posted a beer from a place and he was like, oh, I love that beer. And so chemistry was good. I had a I had a couple good math teachers in high school. And then I had a couple of math teachers in high school that I didn't feel were really good teachers. And if you take the combination of the good that kind of showed me what you should do and how to let kids know you care about them and combine it with the bad, the ones that I'm like, man, if I ever thought I would never do it like that, because <laughs> this lady, uh, <laughs> that's kind of how it all comes together for me. So what landed you in math? No, no, no. I think it was because math is the one subject that like, there's always a specific subject or a point where for a student that says they hate math, like, well, where did it all break down for you? So many kids were like, man, fractions. I hated fractions, man. I could never get fractions. And I'm like, I could teach you fractions or someone would be like, man, we had to uh, change fractions of decimals, decimals, percents. And it just never really stuck for me. And so I just always, I thought it was a challenging enough subject to where I could probably change somebody's perception of it. And then for someone who loved it, I would continue to foster their love for it. And it was something, like I said, I had some really good math teachers and I had some that I didn't feel like were that great. So I, I thought that if I combined those two, I could troubleshoot <laughs> students that didn't like math and I could help them be successful. I love that. If you had one story out of any student you've ever had, 
would you mind sharing which ones stuck out to you the most and what inspired you the most to continue? Oh man, I got, I got to pick one. Um, one, one, like the real one from like when you first started, what was the first thing, the first story that you had that really inspired you? Let's go with Sergio Allen. I know Sergio. Uh, I knew him. Class of 2007, Osceola High. Mm-hmm. Um, I know the name. When he played varsity basketball, I was coaching. Um, I was assistant coach or coaching JV. And I like his story. I like his mom. I like his family. Um, but I remember telling him, he said he wanted to play in the NFL. And I was like, cool, you got a backup plan? He was like, I don't need a backup plan. Like, that's my goal. I'm like, all right, cool. And he was small. He was, I think he was five foot seven, but he was really athletic. I know he could dunk a tennis ball. Uh, he was really passionate, strong. He was fast. He was quick, but he was also really smart. And so he was like, all I really need to do is, you know, he lived in South St. Pete and he was like, man, I'm trying to go to wherever I go. I was like, man, go as far away from home as you can, see something different. And when I say as far away from home as you can, he literally went from South Florida to Northern California to go to college. I'm like, bro, you legitimately went as far as you could have gone in the continental U.S. And I love him. Like, he's a great kid. I wasn't able to attend his wedding because I believe at the time my wife was pregnant and we were expecting. I've seen him coach USA camp. Um, I saw him coach a game in AT&T Stadium in Dallas. I took a day off from school, and we did that. I went to dinner with him and his wife and his daughter. <clears throat> there was a time when they road tripped, he and his wife, Stephanie. He was moving and took a job, and he was like, yeah, hey, my, my directions are taking us through Dallas. And I was like, well, sweet, y'all got to come by. Like, they stopped at the house, stayed the night with my wife. My, my wife and my kids were here. And his wife and his daughter were here. We went and ate barbecue downtown. We've eaten barbecue like two or three times. Mm-hmm. And he's just a good kid. Like he, he decided he wanted to teach and he was coaching at the professional level. His, his wife was teaching. Uh, he was a good kid. And, I, and I, I told him something once and I forgot it. But I told him once, I was like, um, I need you to know that God has a calling on your life outside of football. And I told him this maybe in 2000 and like, we'll say nine or 10. And he was like, why would you say that? I was like, I don't know. I just felt inclined to tell you that. <laughs> like, yeah. just dropped. But um, he's a good kid. And it's crazy that 2000, people will tell you, man, that 2007 class was epic. That, that class ruined education for me because I never found a class like that. I was um, 20, that I was, was 2008. Cool. 2008. Tell me, I what did you feel about 2007, Ham? Come on, continue. All right. 2007 was, I had a group of kids in my trig class. That was the year I had two algebra two classes and mm. I forgot what we called it, analytic geometry or essentially a pre-calculus class. I remember that class. I, that was the first class I started writing letters to all my students. And when I started writing a letter at the end of the year, I tried to write two letters a day. And then I gave it to them and they were like, hey, so if are we allowed to respond? And I was like, cool. And so they responded. Some of them wrote me letters back. And I can remember like about a dozen of the kids who were in my trig class that wrote me letters. I used to call them my lazy trig kids 
And I still have all those letters. I put them in my scrapbook. Um, I wrote and I and and I started that in 2007, and I continued it for about another seven or eight years, where I would pick a class and write a letter to every student in that class that wanted a letter. 2007 was just a really good group, hardworking group of athletes, a hardworking group of students. Out of that group, I remember I went to like a couple students' housewarming parties in St. Pete. One of them just built a house outside of Austin, so they're like three hours wow. away from me, and I'll see them pretty soon. I saw her. Her name's Danielle. I saw her when she was in nursing school. Um, we've walked through a lot at every step of the way, but she's like married with two kids now, and I'm like, yo, I can't wait for my kids to meet your kids. She's like, that's crazy. <laughs> but 2007, was <laughs> I, I had a really good teaching schedule. I had a great group of coworkers. Um, students were phenomenal. Uh, the staff that I was surrounding myself with were great. And I think that was the year I coached JV basketball. And it was it was a great group of kids. I, I learned a lot that year. And they, they challenged me and I challenged them. And I think we both rose to the challenge nicely. I love it. Do you have a certain quality that you look for in any relationship that you have a friendship? Do you have one specific quality that stands out to you more than anything else? If someone is genuine, and I think Fair. that's what I find. If if if, if they're on, if they're genuine in their intention to foster a positive relationship, if they'll, they don't even have to take my advice, but if they're willing to listen, if they're open and they can communicate well, I think it gives us a chance to really do something nice and and, and start building a really good bond. Thank you. So outside of school, what are your other favorite hobbies to do and what first inspired you to do those? I've said this for years, but I'm extremely close to finishing my first book and publishing it. Um, I have written everything in it. And it's crazy because it's me telling stories about being an educator. So I guess you can call it a hobby. I I never thought of myself as a writer when this is done, like I will 100% be like, Hey, I am the author, Mr. Ham. <laughs> yes, you are Ham. Um, I enjoy the storytelling aspect of it um, outside of school. You know, I've got two kids and, and they're very active, so they keep me busy. You know, I've got a wife. I, I enjoy woodworking. I still read my share of comic books and collect a little bit. Um, I read a lot of journals, a lot of magazines, um, I'm a big fan of craft beer, so I'll dabble with that a little bit. I don't brew, but I drink, <laughs> I'll drink it. and I genuinely like try to keep some kind of routine of physical exercise in there. I've been really intentional about yoga lately because I want to make sure this body is still working and functional in 40 more years. So, um, that's about it where, when it comes to hobbies. I love that. Thank you for sharing. How would you explain yourself in terms of emotional intelligence with people who you surround yourself with, whether that's students, whether that's your children, whether that's your wife, whether that's any relationship in your life? How do you connect your emotional intelligence with other people? Wow, man, you you over here getting deep. I think when it comes to emotional intelligence, the people I surround myself with are open-minded, I would say like well-read or intelligent. 
Um, they've, they've taken time to understand their worldview and they know how life and the situations and circumstances they have been in the midst of and experienced have shaped their view on a, for example, on a political realm, on a social justice mm -hmm. realm, on a civil rights, human rights, equality, equity um, type of a stance. Um, those are the people that I gravitate toward, which means they're very strong-minded, mm -hmm. strong-willed and opinionated, but also um, they're compassionate. They have a heart to help and serve others. They know that if their needs are met, anything extra is there. There's someone who's deserving of it, regardless of their situation. You don't have to ask a lot of questions. So they're likely charitable, philanthropic. They understand that American history has shaped our country, the way we operate, and that there are systems that are in place that still need to be torn down and done away with. If we look in the mirror, we know exactly who this world was built for, who this country was built for, on whose labor and who's always gotten the short end of the stick. <laughs> I think it sounds real and it's a very real, even, you know, regardless of everything else, even if it's just an observation, it's very real. You know what I'm saying? Like you're observing yeah. what's actually happening right now. So it's really an admirable of you to speak on it, to be honest. If you had one superpower, what would it be and why? One superpower. Just one. Do anything, anything you want. Your I know. If, imagination as is as far as it could go. You could do anything. You could like I don't know how to do go. just one. <laughs> no, like you could do go-go gadget arms. You could do invisibility. You could do super speed. You could be like an invisible cloak all the time. You know. So what the you the super the super speed part always appeals to me because I feel like number one, I'd be able to travel a ton. Super quick. <laughs> <laughs> same same way with flying, but I feel like super speed is always faster than flying. You know what I mean? Like, people are like, oh, he flies as fast as a jet. Super speed, like, I can get around the world in, like, 10 seconds. But, but if I was that fast, there's a lot of lives I could probably save. Like, that's the thing. If I had a superpower, I'd have to use it for good to help others. So I don't know if having endless resources that always provide for those in need is a superpower. I would go for that. But I don't know if I can categorize that. If I'm being selfish... I don't want like x-ray vision. I don't want heat vision. I don't want super strength. I think I would I would love the speed to be in different places and to see stuff. Like can you imagine if I just said, "Hey, I'll be there in 5 seconds." And I came down and, <laughs> and knocked on the hotel, knocked on your door like, "Yeah, what's up? Let's let's kick it." And then it was like, "All right, I'm headed home and you're back home in 5 seconds." Like <laughs> You eliminate the burden of time because you can do things so fast that really time, does, you never really run out of it. But I don't know if that's really a real superpower. Um, I also think there would be times to, to heal other people who were sick would be a good superpower because I think I've lost a lot of people due to illnesses that I'm like, man, I wish I could have healed them. So I don't know if I answered your question. I kind of did, but I also know I deviated. 
No, I think it was great. I'm I was just curious, honestly. I think that super speed, if you ran around so many times, don't you think you'd be exhausted? Like if you ran here th three and a half hours, do you think you'd be tired? <laughs> you know, when you got here, you'd probably, right. probably be like, even though I'm super fast, I probably need to take a little break. <laughs> right? right? Rejuvenate and rest super quickly too? I mean, honestly, that's a fair question because I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know either. I don't know. If I had one, I think it'd be invisibility because then I could like just board planes. <laughs> <laughs> you know what yeah, I'm saying? If there's ever a seat, you just sit down somewhere and you're good. Oh my God, I would stand against a wall or something, you know, and just like yeah. chill out. And... As long as that flight's not too long. I mean, and if yeah, anyone's at me, like, come on, I'm invisible. Like, they touch me and they'll be like, they'll think that they're going crazy, although crazy is subjective. <laughs> they would think, right. what am I touching? So I want to ask you another question. What was your favorite school to work at ever? My time at Osceola was beautiful. That was my first contracted teaching assignment. And a couple of those people that I met there are lifelong coworkers. Um, and whenever I come back to Florida, that's the first group of people who were like, yo, let's go to happy hour. Every time I see Miss Nolan, if I'm on campus, I see Miss Padavan, I see Miss Ritchie. My guy Z is there now, but he was at Dixie at the time. Um, I still reach out to the Rasmussen's. Um, I still, that's where I met uh, Coach Walker and we coached together at Osceola and at Seminole. Like, that's my guy. And those students that are there, you're one of them. Like, <laughs> I can go through a whole list starting with ones I met my first year teaching algebra and then ones I met when I got partway through the year. I picked up Miss Marquez's calculus class. That's where I met Stephanie Stackowitz. Oh, Miss Stackowitz's daughter, rest in peace. And then I met Charlene, and that was my introduction into that class. I can picture them. I can picture the pink razor phones of that of that time in, in mm -hmm. two thousand at the end of two thousand six or beginning of two thousand six. That was good. Osceola was good to me, and I probably wouldn't have left had it not been for some of the admin or whatnot. You know, they say you never forget your first, whether it be your first love, first first car like that was my first like you got to understand that i i thought i was gonna when i started teaching i thought i was gonna start in columbus ohio and it didn't work out so i loaded up like a 98 ford Taurus show me and my sister road trip down to florida and i was like all right i'm gonna be a man now on my own we're just gonna make it work it's special to me it really is i have one last question my question is if you could change anything about the education industry that you're in, what would it be? Oh, man. See, oh, gosh, there's so much. I want education to be equitable for all. Um, I want the resources there for all. I want the investment of the community for all students. I want all students to have an opportunity to learn and thrive in a realm and, and, and be successful in the realm where they want to be. Um, the way we do education now is not the way it should be because we still take a model that was created hundreds of years ago 
to specifically cater toward a workforce of where we want people to be. Meanwhile, there are thousands of opportunities that go overlooked because I, I don't know if we're really catering to the needs of students. You know, we still have standardized testing. We still give growth tests, which is fine, but the value should be equal across the board, regardless of realm of profession that you plan on being in. I know welders that make $100,000. I know teachers that make $100,000. But I know teachers that make $40,000. It doesn't mean they're not effective. It just mm -hmm. means that they're serving in an area where that's as much as they can make, which means there's not equitable pay. I want access and opportunity there for all students. And when I say all students, I legitimately mean all students. If, if I could fix that and repair that, I think then you really get educators who were compensated well for their time and what they do, they'll be more inclined to continue serving at a higher level because the burnout would be lower. Absolutely. So I would try to fix this education system. The people in control, it should be a system that really is dictated by educators, not people who want to tell educators what they should do. That's the part that, that really kills me. You got people who are in positions of power and authority who can mandate decrees about what education needs to look like, and they've never been in an educational setting or classroom um, as an adult, and they don't know what the, the pulse and the heartbeat of education is in students. And that's what teachers and educators are well aware of. They are always aware of students, students' needs, and, a, and their disposition on what we can do to help assist and serve them. Yes. People are so quick to say, like, oh, it's so easy to teach this, that, and that. And as, you know, I'm in learning and development myself, and it's not as easy as you think it is. <laughs> thank you. That's a wrap. This is the interviewee saying thank you to the interviewer, Miss Brooke. I appreciate you. This has been a different type of episode of Talking Back to the Teacher Podcast. But, you know, every now and then it's fun to change up the format. Give the listeners a little something different. So, much appreciation. Share the episode with a friend.